just go to mass. The next time you go to mass, look at the person next to him and say, do I love you with a self-sacrificial love? Right. And look at a total stranger and say, oh, no, I don't think I do that. Welcome to this episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic evangelization podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gomer Gormley, joined every week by my co-host, David. St. Paul ain't got nothing on me, Van Vickle. I don't I don't like these names. I don't support it. I literally wrote that down. I was so excited. I don't support it at all. I St. Paul, I'm sorry. Gomer. <laughs> awesome. This is gonna this is gonna be a cool episode this week because I think this is a huge hurdle, don't you think, that people have to jump into? I, I think tell, so. Tell them what we're talking about, Gomer. Uh, we're going to talk about the relationship, especially for Catholic evangelists, people who want to evangelize, taking people from Christ to church, right? And what is the ecclesial dimension of faith and all the things kind of bound up with that? Because often when we learn about evangelization today, we learn it from our evangelical brothers and sisters where the church is this thing added on for believers. It's not a it's not this mystical reality that binds us all together. And so as Catholics, we have a high ecclesiology, a high view of church teaching. So we're going to show you how to incorporate the church in the kerygma. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. But we have uh we had got some awesome feedback questions. Got some good follow-up. Yeah, good follow-up. yeah, right. We're keep the emails coming again. Every knee shall bow at ascensionpress.com. Uh, is our email address. We want to keep those questions going uh, because this is this is a great part. We want to create that community, right? That community of evangelists. So the first question, Gomer, and I think this is on so many people's minds, is about evangelizing people in your family and specifically a spouse, right? So many people find themselves in this place where they've made a you know a decision to follow the Lord and they feel like they're leaving their spouse behind. Just last week, I was talking to somebody who said. He literally feels like he cannot do anything more in the church unless his spouse comes with him because he feels like it's getting further and further distant uh, between them two, the two of them. And he just is growing and growing and growing. And he said, you know, he desperately needs something to bring his spouse along with because he just feels a, a you know a distance between them. And that's something that I think a lot of people feel. Uh, I, you know, I'm blessed. My, my wife is definitely holier than I am, has a better relationship with Jesus than I am, but I've worked with a lot of people and obviously, you know, some of these are going to be obvious, but I think my first answer would be intentional prayer for your spouse. Okay. And I'm going to go at it from, I know that sounds like, duh, of course we're praying for them, but I'm going to go at it from like a spiritual warfare standpoint, right? That, as, as a spouse, a, a man or the woman, you have authority over your spouse, right? You they, they pledge their body to you. You have authority over them. And so it's important, right? Your prayers are very powerful when you have authority over someone. And so to say, uh, you know, to the Lord every day to beg him in prayer, Lord, please bring him to yourself. Uh, bring her to yourself, please, Lord. It's a, it's a powerful prayer. The prayer of a spouse is very powerful. And even in the sense of spiritual warfare, if there are things holding your spouse back, you have that authority, right? That body of that of your spouse belongs to you, and you have that spiritual authority to say, Satan, you have no place here, right? My husband is coming with me. My wife is coming with me to heaven, and uh, and you know that is my main priority here, and, and I have the authority to say, get out. So uh, make sure you're praying for them. Number two uh, of my answers, I'm... I'm 
anxious to hear Gomer's thoughts too. <laughs> you got to live it, right? I mean, this is the worst. This is the hardest part about this, right? You know, it's it's literally the opposite of a retreat or a mission trip, right? Uh, anyone can get up the courage to live a heroic Christian lifestyle for a week in Mexico or in Africa or or on a retreat or giving a parish mission. Anyone can can work up enough gusto in their life, right? To, to, to live a heroic Christian life for those short period of time, but you are living a lifetime with this person. And it's difficult because the witness has to reflect the words that you're saying. Uh, and finally, I would just say, patience, patience, patience. Do you respect God's work in this person's life enough to say, God, it's going to be in your time. In the meantime, I'm just going to be ready and I'm going to be waiting for how you want to use me in this. Gomer, what do you say? Yeah, you know, Scripture actually gives us um, a couple guidelines on this. First uh, Corinthians chapter seven um, talks about this in some detail, starting with verse twelve and following. Um, Saint Paul is introducing some of his like marital sexual morality stuff, but then he goes uh, talks about you know if you're unmarried, it's better to stay unmarried, um, and all these things. But then he gets into this interesting thing where he says, uh, "To the rest, I say." I say, not the Lord, right? So he's making a distinction like, here's the best advice I can give you, right? Sure, sure. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is consecrated through his wife. Yeah. And the unbelieving wife is consecrated through her husband, right? Now, if you think about this, Love covers a multitude of sins, right? And this is a part of the ecclesial dimension of faith that we're going to get into. Yeah. And there is some mystical reality whereby your faith in God can help to consecrate, which is a pretty heavy word right? in Jewish theology, right? Um, to consecrate your unbelieving spouse to the Lord. And so we need to let that be... Um, you need to give part of that patience is allowing grace to work, but it's also the realization that grace is working. Right. And I know that this is something that has brought you to tears, oh listener who wrote into us, because I have a dear friend whose husband is a wonderful man, except when it comes to religion. Wow. He's an atheist, he's a hardcore atheist, and he just rolls his like you could not get more condescending. And she used to work at the parish. <laughs> she used to work for me. Oh, wow. Uh, in in all these different ways. She is a remarkable person, and she has to endure. So I know that this is a burden, but I want to say that grace is already there working through your faith and your belief in Jesus. And um, in First Peter chapter 3, he says, likewise, uh, you wives, and so here's the direction to the wives, um, be submissive to your husbands so that some, though they do not obey the word, may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives when they see your reverent and chaste behavior. So uh, I know that word submissive might throw some of our listeners off, but in a very real way, right? Right. We win other people through serving, right? We win other people through serving. And when, be, and, and I don't mean being a doormat and I don't mean neglecting your faith. But in a very real way, the reason why we talk about this is he just says that they may be one without a word. Sometimes we have to renounce our preaching career for the sake of our marriage. That if the only thing that's a hindrance within the marriage is our faith, then we need to renounce our preaching career and try to win them without 
preaching at or to them. Right. Uh, but I would also say that that does not involve not praying for of them. Course. That's part of, of the course. consecrating your spouse. And I would say it's time to ratchet up a level yeah. and go to uh, fasting for your spouse and getting other people to join in fasting. Um, and then I would say the next level is to, uh, if they are an atheist, it's to buy books that an atheist, that would speak directly to atheists if they think Christians are stupid because they're anti-biblical, buy Catholic books that address some of these issues. Um, I recommend right off the bat Father Timoth or Father um, Robert Spitzer's wonderful book, New Proofs of the Existence of God from, from Physics and Contemporary Philosophy. Um, Reverend Timothy Keller has like The Reason for Belief and uh, oh he has two books on on god they're the reason to believe in the na the nature of belief and the reason for god i think that's what the titles are excellent introductions to faith mere christianity by c.s lewis um, fundamentals of the faith by dr peter craft have these books read these books be prepared to talk intelligently about your faith but also leave them around the house. <laughs> I tell people do that all the time. Yeah, and you'll walk in one day and they'll be reading. And they'll be like, "I'm not reading." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's great. I, you know, above all, you know, just love, love, love. You know, that's that's where all evangelization takes place. You know, it, in a certain sense, marriage or family situations present their very unique and difficult problems. But the truth is, would that every person we are evangelizing come and live with us? I mean, that's. That's real evangelization. That's how it happens, right? Yeah. Is a long relationship of trust. So also look at the opportunity here. And the last thing, you know, I just was thinking about when Gomer was talking is a practice I've adopted. I, I heard these this awesome couple. They have eleven children. They have three sets of twins, oh. and oh. they were talking about how their dad, his dad, all since he was born, prayed for his spouse, his future spouse, his son's future spouse. And I, you know, I'm going to start doing that for my kids is to pray for their future spouse, uh, you know, that they, they might, you know, not maybe have to experience some of the heartache that go, they go through. So uh, not me, they're on their own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're praying <laughs> against their future spouse. Exactly. So then, so the next question, I'm excited to discuss this next question with you. Okay. I, I've, I've been excited all week, right? As soon as we got this email, we got an email of, uh, from somebody who talked about basically the relationship between uh, signs and wonders, miracles, right? And evangelization, right? And they were kind of, uh, in a sense, uh, bemoaning the fact that, right, like, shouldn't we have the same signs and wonders that the apostles had when they were evangelizing? And, uh, you know, shouldn't that be a huge part of our evangelization? And and I want to say, he asked, would you guys do an episode on this? And I guarantee we will do not just an episode, but a series of episodes on this. But I want to get to some simple answers here, yeah. and I'm anxious to hear what you have to say to this uh, to this uh, writing, Gomer. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> in in a way, there's a can of worms here, right? Because in our Catholic culture, me and you come from a very hardcore charismatic background, and I come from a light and dainty charismatic background. Um, okay. And so when we talk about the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit, especially in, you know, St. Paul talks about, I didn't come with human eloquence and wisdom, but rather with a, uh, the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, how did I convert people? I came with the power of God and did things that you had to say that forced you to say, only God can do this. Now, in my experience, uh, signs and wonders have been pretty minimal in my evangelization 
if you mean by that dramatic healings and and um you know people speaking in tongues if you pray with them and things like that that has been very minimal and it's not a lack of expectation on my part it's probably a profound lack of personal holiness but it's not a lack of expectation like i'm not antithetical antithetical to these gifts right probably because in my in my uh J- jv charismatic background i'm on the i'm like on the bench of the vars- junior varsity team um i I haven't really been taught how to integrate these things very well, other than praying with people and over people, which I do. But uh, I will say this. Okay, so I'm going to give you just a straight-up real example. Um, When I preach the gospel, I try to let the word itself, um, especially sacred scripture, which I already know is anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, to lead and direct how I bring the gospel. So I'm quoting probably a dozen, if not two dozen verses or passages or walking people through chapters in order to communicate the gospel. So I already know I'm front loading my talk with the power of the God of God and the Holy spirit. Right. right. And so for instance, I did this four part retreat. Um, my talks are online at soundcloud.com slash AMD Gomer. And the talk was called, uh, the spirit and the bride. And so it was about balancing the Holy or about having that Marian holiness with the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these staff members. And I'm just preaching the gospel and connecting it to the life of the sacraments and like the kind of signs and wonders stuff, which I had no intention of happening, started manifesting in that room dramatically. And you can hear some of it at the end of the talk. I edited parts of it out because I just felt like someone clicking, right. listening to it might not know what was going on. But yeah, so crazy stuff started manifesting right then and there. And conversion started happening right then and there. And I was just walking people through Romans chapter five and chapter six. And it was amazing. Awesome. Okay. I love that answer. Now I'm going to, uh, so as Gomer said, like I grew up in the renewal, right? I, I believe buckle up. Yeah. Right. Well, no, (laughs) I believe wholeheartedly in, in the Catholic charismatic renewal and, have benefited just unbelievably in in my life because of my relationship to the Catholic charismatic renewal. Now, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a careful tone here because uh, I want to say first, I believe 100% that miracles are happening today. I believe that. Yeah. I believe we should pray for miracles. There's no question in my mind. Uh, I have seen in evangelization situations hundreds of miracles, hundreds, hundreds of miracles uh, but I'm a little worried about some of the rhetoric coming out right now because I mm-hmm. I have seen a lot of things lately where people basically want to say that in order for evangelization to be real, there has to be signs and wonders and that those signs and wonders are usually physical healings, okay? Um, right. Well, in, one, in one shocking case, even somebody – uh, said, you know, on, on Facebook one day, who, who's a very well-educated, awesome Catholic guy, said, these are the works that shall accompany those who believe in me, you shall heal the sick. And then he said, therefore, if you do not heal the sick, you are not a disciple. That is a problem, okay? Uh, that's a real problem here. And I think anyone could just look at the, the history of the Hebrews in the Old Testament, right? They saw, saw signs and wonders unlike anything else, and they continually turned away because the truth is 
the only sign and wonder that is eventually going to win a soul forever is the changing of their heart, right? Is the resurrection of their heart. And so I, I'm, I believe in them and I want to use it and I cannot wait till we get into the episodes where we can talk about using charisms and, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to be careful right now. I think that we have to be very careful about the fact that, um, you know, th there's a lot of things, there's a lot of baggage that goes along with that. And I think one of the things is, you know, some people just, we don't know. We have no idea if it doesn't, if you say like, look, if you believe you're going to be healed and then nothing happens, that that's a, that's a tough position to be in with evangelization, right? As opposed to introducing it a little bit more uh, lighter in a, in a yeah. certain way and just saying, you know, God sometimes heals people and and if and he always heals your heart and sometimes that heart healing is accompanied by physical manifestation of healing and and i think that it's important to be careful because you know about a third of the doctors of the church there's no record of them healing anyone uh does that mean they weren't saints does that mean they weren't evangelizing of course not uh so i just want to be careful a little it bit. does mean that they weren't disciples sorry augustine Ab absolutely right absolutely so yeah so uh i love it i love the topic and i'm excited to get into it and we're definitely going to do some episodes about it because i'm so passionate about this but i am a little bit nervous yeah. about the yeah. rhetoric coming out. yeah and i would agree with that this could be 100 a whole show right now i would just say that um part of my issue with demanding that signs and wonders accompanies number one this is where snake handling comes from in the right. <laughs> rural midwest right right uh we drink poison and let snakes bite us because right. uh, it's supposed to not harm us but 10 of us have died right they must have not been true believers right uh there's danger when it comes to litmus tests like that right um the other thing i would say is what about the sovereign will of right. god right. like if jesus christ wants to bring a physical healing in someone's life he can do it if Jesus Christ does not want to and rather wants to manifest his power and glory in a different way, and I think I have yoked God to this outcome, I am the one who is acting faithless in my expectation of a certain type of miracle. And I just think there is a profound arrogance that sleeps slips into our our practice. Like we're because I've been around people like yourself who it's normal to have signs right. and wonders kind of a company. And so it can be, it can be a very, um, the, basically when we put false expectations on God, I think there is a danger there. And, you know, I've heard it on retreats where this one woman was criticizing. She was a uh, youth group director and she was criticizing this big leadership retreat that I was on. She said, well, I brought kids last year. And by this time last year, they, they had converted. And how come they're not converting now? And I was yeah, like, right. whoa, 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 because people are different and God is allowed right. yeah. to be free. Yeah. And I think, uh, you, you know, you put it in the quickest way you possibly could. I, I can explain it in a little gentler way, the point of view that, right, like, and we will, we'll get into that deeply. So thanks so much for that, uh, for that feedback. And that was a great question, you know, keep those things coming. Um because we want, again, we want to we want to learn from you. We want we want to be able to share our experience with you, and those are the great things that people are wondering about mm -hmm. all the time. You know, with regards to evangelization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into our topic today. Yeah, um, from from Christ to church, uh, understanding both the individual response and the ecclesial fancy word for church, the ecclesial dimension of faith. Um, one of the big things, as many Catholics are trained more and more by literature coming out of the evangelical world, and I think this probably first profoundly started in 
youth ministers who would read you know zondervan books and youth specialties trying to understand how can i reach my teens because i realized that everyone in confirmation uh in my confirmation class are heathens baptized heathens how do i reach them how do i evangelize them so you begin to adopt oh well these these event ideas are cool or these ideas uh, over here are cool so you begin to adopt their the the praxis the the things that you do and you don't realize that you're adopting the methodology behind it which is attached to an ideology or it's attached to a theology absolutely and so um one of the theologies of our protestant brothers and sisters not all of them uh, especially american evangelicalism and fundamentalism which are the most evangelizing is this ideology uh, or this uh, theology of the church as being an addendum right. in God's plan. We could talk about this this thing called dispensationalism when God has these dis- different dispensations through different ages and one age has nothing to do with the other age. And so for a lot of Christians who believe in like the rapture and end times happening relatively soon, um, many of them are dispensationalists and they believe that the church was an add-on that Christ threw together when he realized that the Jews were rejecting him. And that the church will go away and then the temple will be rebuilt, animal sacrifices will return, and then, you know, like Christ will reign for a thousand years. And when you look at it from this perspective, you've totally minimized the relationship of the church and the importance of the church. And I will say the biblical centrality of the church. Right. And when you do that, and you're so that just becomes like your background thought. So when you begin crafting an understanding of evangelization, it's one individual going up to another individual and trying to give them the four spiritual laws, right? God has a plan for your life and he loves you. Sin ruins it. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Therefore, repent and receive through faith the gift of Christ in your life. There is often they'll add a fifth one and make it to a local Bible believe in <laughs> church, right? Um, and the, But it's always an addendum because the theology behind it is an addendum. Whereas if you look at the Catholic Church's theology, right, it says very, very clearly that faith is both is both a personal act. In fact, it says it is, first of all, a personal adherence of man to God, right? But at the same time, there is this ecclesial dimension, right? It's that it's a personal act, but it's not a private or isolated act. That is, no one believes alone, right? Just as no one can live alone, the catechism says. And it's the church that gives us this faith, whether it's through evangelists that have been sent out, priests, families, all this stuff. The church comes before the individual in the plan of God, right? And so I think oftentimes when we're talking about evangelization as Catholics, those of us who are super excited to be heralds of the gospel end up minimalizing or else getting supremely frustrated at the institutional church. Yeah. But then I would caution everyone about all this, right? Then you read Pope Paul VI, Evangelii Nuziandi, right? Evangelization in our time. The great Magna Carta of 20th century documents on evangelization from the church. And, and, and the first thing I read after I had my conversion. The first which, is, which is so awesome because, <laughs> because it sets you off on the right foot, the right path. Yeah. The first thing I read was all Protestant stuff, right? And so I'm having to unlearn right. Right, some of the stuff. And I have a little hostility, and I get a little aggressive on Twitter. Um, but this notion that uh, the church exists, 
Pope Paul VI says, she exists in order to evangelize. And when you begin to understand what is evangelization in the mission of the church, you take on this ecclesial dimension. It's not enough for you to make a private speech act in Jesus. I confess with my lips and believe with my heart that Jesus is Lord, I will be saved. Romans 10, I got it, nailed it. It's this whole dimension of who will go to preach unless someone sends him. There's this understanding that I'm in the community, I'm being sent forth from the community to make the community bigger, right? It's this notion of Cardinal Ratzinger called it an open circle, right? It's the circle where we actually have real community with one another, but the goal is our posture to those on the outside of the circle is to ever make it wider, right? To make it bigger, to bring more people into fellowship. And I think we can lose this ecclesial dimension of the faith when we only focus on me as an evangelist trying to convince you as a heathen <laughs> oh, gosh. to give your life to Christ, right? Right. Uh, and and it, it might even sound like if you were to listen to our our things from previous episodes, it might sound like what that's what we're trying to do. No, this is why I believe in all these renewal movements in the church to revitalize the parish, because we need to have an evangelizing parishes that people show up right. at, you know. But this this ecclesial dimension, I don't know, Dave. I'm interested to get your thoughts. Yeah, no. This, uh, okay, so everything is uh, brilliant, perfect expo. You know, sets the stage for us. I think. We can see little snippets all over American culture in the church of where we're kind of going, steering the wrong way on this. Okay. And, and the, the first thing that came to my head was this, we right now are obsessing with parish culture. We're obsessing with like the Protestant model. And I think that they're really great at that. The problem is when you can't compete with the Protestant model, like when we can't put on, you know, what the what the big mega churches put on, there has to be a reason you stay. And that reason for me is the church, right? The question of the church is so important because it, it you know, it it is important to our salvation, right? Okay. And so uh you don't just leave because you feel church somewhere else. No, the church is an actual right divine institution founded by Jesus Christ. And there's a reason you don't leave that because of boring preaching, bad music, and unfriendly people. The, the other thing I think about all the time is in the most simple terms, right? When Jesus uses marital language to, to describe the church, basically saying he and the church are one, okay? Uh, if I'm, if someone's, if I'm trying to introduce myself to someone, I'm trying to build a friendship and if I'm saying, you know, Gomer, I, you know, you're becoming a really good friend of mine. We're growing in this relationship, but Gomer doesn't like my wife. How far is that relationship going to go, right? This is this is an issue. So if we look at evangelization as just introducing our, our friend to another friend, well, that friend has a spouse and the spouse is the church. So yeah. we have to be ready to make that jump, right? This ecclesial dimension of evangelization. The, the third thing I think about is... Uh, so right now I'm reading Pope Benedict's uh, Dogma and Preaching, and it's go on. It's so good. It's so good. But he talks about the the unbelievable relationship between the pre the Word and the Ecclesia, the brethren, right, the Church. And he talks about how right the Word forms the Church, and then the Church uh, responds to the Word, and it's just a continual cycle, right? That like the word goes first and then the church comes, right? And that the church is continually formed by that word over and over again. And it's like when he's talking about this, to me, it just describes 
Holy Mother Church, our Catholic Roman Catholic Church, to a T, right? That we're continually being formed by the Word of God. The Church is continually nourishing itself on the Word and proclaiming that to the world. Uh, so I think it's you know I I love this idea. I also love it for the just the basic sense of this. Catholics have to get more serious about the more practical sides, like community. Uh, you know, being involved in their parish things like we have to get better at this, guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm the worst because I'm I'm super introverted, and I don't ever want to meet new people ever for the rest of my <laughs> life. Okay, so it's it's such a it's such a stretch for me, but we have to get better at this. Yeah, and I will say this. I will say this. Right, um, if you read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph one six six. Um, it introduces us to this ecclesial dimension of faith. But here's this quote. Just listen to this. You have not given yourself faith as you have not given yourself life. Wow. The believer has received faith from others and should hand it on to others. Should hand it on to others. Okay. Wow. That's right there. Right. Our love for Jesus and for our neighbor impels us to speak to others about our faith. Each believer is thus a link in the great chain of believers. I cannot believe without being carried by the faith of others, and by my faith, I help uh, I help support others in the faith. Okay, so this notion, I mean, when when we think about salvation, how was salvation accomplished for us? It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is through His body, right? Saint Irenaeus, Saint Irenaeus says that it's the humanity of Christ that is the gateway to heaven. Okay. The humanity of Christ is the gateway to heaven. We, that, that's a phrase that's written or that quote's written in morning prayer. Um, so when you think about it, it was through the body and the redemption brought about by the body of Christ. St. Paul focuses so much on his body being crucified, and then St. Paul calls the church the body of Christ, right? This is not just a metaphor. This is a mystical reality. Right? There is a real spiritual connection between the body that hung on the cross and the group of people coming together in Christ. The soul of the mystical body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. A soul without a body is a ghost. A body without a soul is a corpse, as Scott Hahn used to say all the time. Right, So this understanding that you and I are connected to one another in a real way, and in fact, Saint John the Evangelist in First John chapter one, that was one of his main points. He's like, we are all eyewitnesses. We've reported this to you, what our eyes have seen and our hands have touched, and we want you to have fellowship with us so that our joy might be complete. Right, right. It's the goal is the fellowship, right, in the Holy Spirit. It's not a, a, a socializing, right. The goal is fellowship, and what is fellowship? Where we hold in common one another, right? Like you are a good for me and I am a good for you. But when you look at the parish, what we do with, we looked at the institutional church and we've created this uh, commoditization kind of experience. All right, I'm going to show up. I'm going to pay. You're going to give me the sacraments and then I'm going to leave, right. right? And then next week I'll redo Christianity in my life, right? No, the whole point is it affects every moment of our life, but that ecclesial dimension of our faith affects every moment. It's not just like this individual privatized, well, I pray in the morning and that's it. No, it's like how I raise my family, how I am a neighbor, how I go to work reflects that ecclesial, because you're a part of the body. You're a part of the body. I think the big problem is within our church today, you have all these things like love one another as I have loved you. 
and we break the Eucharist and we elevate the host and we say that the that the Eucharist proclaims the death of Jesus until he comes again in glory. And yet, just go to Mass. The next time you go to Mass, look at the person next to him and say, do I love you with a self-sacrificial love? Right. And look at a total stranger and say, oh, no, I don't think I do that. So this ecclesial dimension of faith, I think, can very easily get lost. And when we lose that ecclesial dimension of faith, we lose the importance of the local church, of actually belonging to a body of believers right. that I can invest in. Right, investing in your neighbor in the pew, your brother or sister, um, I think is probably the lost art of being actually being a Christian right now. Is our is our? Of course, you know, Dave. I make it all about community. I know you do. The radical communities at Ascension Press. Buy it today. Um, faith is not meant to be had alone. So when I talk about an ecclesial dimension of faith, I mean that this thing called faith, this personal act in Jesus Christ, this personal self-surrender and total adherence to Jesus, part of that is belonging to the church. And I've had a lot of Catholics who say, but when I'm at a, my Catholic parish, you know, maybe they had an experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit or really being evangelized and they're just set on fire. And then they turn to the giant fire extinguisher called the local parish and they don't know what to do, and a lot of them will leave the church. Right. Or they go to a church on the other side of town or whatever. Right. I would say that sometimes the missionary territory is the people around you. Oh, 100%. But we don't want to do that. Right. We don't want to do that. So the last thing for this missionary dimension of faith, and then we're going to roll out to a brief break and come back with our take five, is the fact that the mission territory is your local parish. And if you can start evangelizing people within the parish, and I'm talking as a layperson, I'm not talking as a parish staff member, that's a different thing. But if you can start doing that, then guess what? You can actually start going to your parish with joy instead of a burden because you will have people who will be brothers and sisters. Too. Absolutely. All Absolutely. right. So this has been Every Knee Shall Bow. We're going to take a brief break. Um, shoot us an email at Ascension, Every Knee Shall Bow at ascensionpress.com. And we will be sure to get back to you and we'll involve, if you have questions like we had at the beginning of our show, we'd love to bring them up and talk about them and share them. Uh, as always, we'll keep it anonymous, but we want to be able to make sure this is reaching out to y'all. We'll be right back. Reading the Bible is something we as Catholics know we should do, but let's be honest, it can be kind of complicated. Even though it's a complete story, the Bible isn't really one book. It's more like a library, with dozens of books and dozens of genres. There's poetry, prophecy, and prose. There are apocalypses and revelations, historical accounts and allegories. No wonder it's difficult to keep a finger on the story of God's love and plan of salvation for His people, the thread that keeps all of it together. If you're wishing there was a simple guide to help you tie all of this together, then you're just like Jeff Cavins and Tim Gray. That's why they wrote the book, Walking with God. Walking with God is a single book that traces the story that ties the Bible together. It helps you to understand the big picture of the Bible. If you're looking to read more of the Bible, Walking with God will help you do it with confidence, peace, and clarity. You can find out more and order Walking with God on ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. All right, Dave, we are back and it is time for our Take Fives. Five practical pieces of things that you can do 
uh, to bring the gospel and spread the kingdom. I, I love these practical tips. I, I want to hear from people who are who are actually doing them. I, I, I want you guys to let us know how they're going. Uh, so again, yeah. make yeah. sure to email us, contact us, okay? All right, so practical tips. When we're talking about the ecclesial dimension of evangelization, number one, I want you to meet someone at your parish, okay? We've talked about meeting neighbors and things like that. I, I want you to just go meet somebody you've never met before. You see these people every week, okay? You see them every week, and, and it's as simple as, hey, I see you here every week. I feel like I should at least know your name. My name is Dave. What's your name? I mean, that could be that simple. Uh, just meet somebody at your parish. Uh, number two, uh, this is part of our ongoing charisma challenge. I would have you read Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter two, and the reason why I like it is uh, it's divided in half: a good soldier of Christ Jesus and a worker approved by God. Um, but within that, you see how Saint Paul encourages Timothy. Um, so it's St. Paul who converted Timothy, and then he says, what you have heard from me before many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, so now that we're on a third generation of people evangelized, who will be able to teach others also. That's four generations of evangelization all right there. Um, but read that whole chapter, so Second Timothy chapter 2, and you'll see how St. Paul easily weaves the gospel of Jesus Christ while he's telling him, go and do these different things. Amen. Okay, number three, a little bit more reading. I want you to pull out your catechism, blow the dust off, okay, and open up. You're going to read paragraphs 176 through 184. It's a little section. It's called In Brief, and it's about man's response to God, okay? And it talks about what faith is, what it means for us, how there's an ecclesial dimension to the faith, how there's a church dimension to the faith, right, and how it's necessary for salvation, okay? So please read uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, numbers 176 through 184. Just build yeah. your knowledge base here. Uh, we want to be we want to be informed evangelists. Yeah. So both of these together will probably take you four minutes. Right. <laughs> right. Real quick. Yeah. So um, for our intercessory prayer, one of the things that I want you to do, right, is since we're talking about the ecclesial dimension of faith, realize that the people sitting next to you or the people ministering to you are desperately in need of your prayers as well. So pray for the staff all week long of your parish. Local church, pray for them. Pray for their renewal. Pray for their conversion. Pray for whatever you need to feel on your heart that you need to pray for them. Pray for the staff of your parish. Yeah, please, please, especially for... Yeah, I, I feel that. I need prayers as a staff of a parish. Yeah. Okay, number five, final one. This is a tricky one, okay? So... We did an episode about the charisma. I want you to go back to those show notes, okay, on ascensionpress.com. What I want you to do is look at the steps of the charisma, and I want you to pull out the testimony that you've been making, okay? The testimony of your life, of what God has done in your life. And I want you to start to just very briefly start to look at the different steps of the charisma, the basic gospel message, and start to kind of pencil in what parts of your testimony kind of line up with the different parts of the charisma, okay? Uh, here's why. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get into the habit of letting the charisma take the center stage and not your story, okay? We want the charisma to use us, not us to use the charisma, okay? So to put your testimony kind of in, in the order uh, and to let the charisma order the way you talk about your relationship with God is a great thing to do. And it's tricky. So go ahead and go back to those show notes, get out that, 
the, the steps of the kerygma and pull out your testimony and just briefly, just start to say, what, what could you say at this step? What could I say at this step? What could I say at this step? Okay. So uh, the kerygma and your testimony, number five. All right. That's our five takeaways, practical advices from us to you about how to take faith from Christ to the church, right? This ecclesial dimension and the individual call to Christ are both absolutely important. Thank you all for joining us. This again is Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic evangelization podcast. God bless y'all.